Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity Segment, and I am excited about my guest today for both TV and radio, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary from CNBC's, and I'm really excited about ta- talking about Money Court and also Shark Tank. Kevin, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Great. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So I want to get started, and this is kind of a question I'm sure you've asked always. Did you always want to become an entrepreneur? Was that something growing up you always wanted to do? I've asked entrepreneurs that question uh, as I've met them through my career. It always is some uh, definitive moment that puts you on that path. About a third of the population uh, becomes entrepreneurs. Um, But for me, it was the humiliation of learning what it's like to work for somebody in an ice cream store and get fired because I wouldn't scrape gum off the floor. And um, that just was just something that didn't sit well with me. And uh, I have to thank that woman. She owned that ice cream store. I was in you know, high school at the time, working there because I was interested in the girl working in the shoe store beside it. And it was just one of those moments of humiliation. I realized there's two kinds of people in the world. Those that you know, own the store and those that scrape the gum off the floor. And you have to kind of decide what, what you want to be and do. And I'm not dissing anybody that wants to have a career right. you know, in a corporate ladder, but it's just, I can't do it. And I never worked for anybody again. After that, so you just made that decision. How old were you when you made that decision? I think I was 16. 16. So what, what was next for you when you said, I'm not going to work for anybody? I'm gonna, I'm gonna do I wanted this. to be a guitarist and a photographer. And my stepfather said, you'll starve to death. You're not good enough. Um, I went to college and I took psychology and environmental studies. And he said, you're still going to starve to death. Then I went and did a business degree and... Um, I really wanted to be involved in the uh, film business. I, I, you know, I had this oh, really? artistic desire. But so what I did when I got out of business school is I started a film production company that produced content for the original six hockey teams in Detroit and Boston and Philadelphia. And um, that was quite successful. And that was my first journey into entrepreneurship. We sold the company. We had a format called Don Cherry's Grapevine. Uh, we did another format called the original six and that was the sale of my first company and i was off to the races but i'd always um wanted to go back to be you know trying my luck in bands and uh, but you know I, i've been fortunate on the financial route and uh today i have a massive guitar collection i've got really great cameras and um I, I tease my dad saying I'm, I'm, I'm come back to haunt you because I can afford, I can afford to do this now. And I'm still editing. I, I actually grew up as a film editor on a, an eight plate Steenbeck 
um, and a cameraman. And so I, and, and every weekend I still cut on, you know, digitally now Premiere Pro, keep my chops going. My daughter's a producer in New York. So I think she's got a few genes off the old man from the TV side, but I, I've always thought that yin and yang in business is great. Um, it helps you solve problems, you know, arts and the, the chaos of it and the discipline of business. You, I would never have thought that. I mean, might have heard a little bit about it on Shark Tank. I'm a huge fan of Shark Tank. I would never have thought that you were in the entertainment business because the entertainment business helps you really in so many ways, being a performer as, you know, when you did guitars to performing in front of people to being behind the scenes, you really understand how to tell a story. And that's an important part of everything in building something is that brand story. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I've, I have fortune. I've, I've been able to work with the uh, world's best showrunners, best television producers, Mark Burnett, Eric Schatz, that's doing a money court and his team. Um, but I drive them crazy because I'm an editor. And when I see a, a, you know, a first cut of a show, I'm all over them. I'm just on the timing. <laughs> if there's a jump cut or something, it's a nightmare for them. <laughs> I'm sure because it's, it's your, you, that was the business you were in. Yeah, and I'm still in it. I'm still in it. I'm just on the other side of the camera. But, exactly. You know, I, I do uh, a lot of work uh, in, on the technical side. And, uh, you know, anyways, but in, in Money Court, um, you know, getting back to that, uh, th that really sprung from my interest. You know, I have a portfolio now of 34 pl plus companies. And in America, we've got 65% of our jobs are created by small businesses. And a lot of those were started by families. And so right. what you find out, you know, money court's not like the other judge shows where there's a cat screaming in the neighborhood and right. people are upset and they, they go into small claims court. These are real litigations. This is real money. These are real people suing each other. And the reason they're on Money court is they know we've got a log jam in our courts because of the pandemic and they need yeah. arbitration. They want to settle it and they want to yeah. move on. And as one litigant said to me, I don't really like you, Mr. Wonderful, but I trust you. And I'd rather be trusted than liked or win a popularity contest. That's an interesting dichotomy. And so a lot of these cases that come, it's a, I love the idea of money court because the fact is you're right. During the pandemic, it's harder to get court cases, different things. And people owe a certain amount of money. Is it mostly involving business a lot of times than some of the, your, uh, the people that come in with the money well, disputes? It, a lot of it's business, but it all involves money. What tears people apart, and, and this is why it's such compelling television, these cases, you're going to see yourself. You're going to see your family. You're going to see your cousin, your uncle, your brother. You've seen this happen to you, and now you're seeing it happen to somebody else, and it's how it gets resolved that matters. But some of this is really hard to, to you know, it's emotional. It's, it's, it's brutal to see a mother sue her daughter, for example. And, and just, you can, as you, as you peel that onion around the case, yeah, you've got the docket. You know what the claim is for. You know the litigation. And they signed for arbitration. But why is a mother suing her daughter? And how did that happen to that family? And when you go down that rabbit hole, that's when you start making some remarkable television. I mean, it's really, I'll tell you something about this show that you might find interesting because I've been doing TV a long time. Yes. And the people that, when you go to a studio like Telemundo and NBC Universal in Miami where we shot this, that's state of the art. I mean, it's, right. it's the most incredible facility I've ever seen. 
And maybe we had a hundred people on the set, the sound people, the lighting people, the gaffers, the cameraman, you know, the, the, the makeup people, the caterers, they're all there. Yeah. And these people are pros. They don't watch TV. They make TV. Right. And so they're, they're jaundiced. They've done this before. Exactly. I'm, I remember one of these cases, I looked over to the right where the soundboard was and in every room, there's a line feed of what the truck is cutting off the, all the cameras. Right. And there was the entire technical staff glued to the monitor, watching this, this incredible story of this family ripping itself to pieces. And when the break hit, uh, the woman who did my makeup came over to me and said, I don't agree with you at all. I don't agree with what you're doing here. I think you didn't give the daughter enough money. And she was totally engaged. That's when I knew we had a hit. Because when the, t the staff are watching TV and they're supposed to be making TV, you got to hit. Right. That's what I think. And that's in telling a story. And so the mindset of the story, what is that ultimate goal of Money Court? What do you want to show uh, the viewers that really can understand? I, I, want, I want to settle. I want to, you know, I have a federal judge in Adipozo who's seen all from the bench, a real federal judge and a real trial attorney. And Katie Fang, and they give me all the legal attributes of the contracts involved, what the law says, but ultimately the decision is mine. And I always try and resolve for the business because if you think about a business, a family business, like the case you're going to see tonight, which is a crazy case. This is most people think, oh, you're going to court because your business is failing and you're suing. Right. How about a case where you're so successful, you're making so much money that the partners sue each other because they don't agree on the direction of making even more money. Oh. I've never seen anything crazier than that. And I sat there listening to this saying, this is insane. You guys have an incredible business. You're making a fortune on free cash flow, and you're suing each other. Exactly. And, and they were, and it was, a, as you will see tonight, it's an amazing outcome. And I think people are really going to get engaged in, in watching these cases get arbitrated. What have you learned about the law being part of this? The law is interpreted by lawyers and by judges and by people. And it doesn't always resolve itself to optimize for an economic outcome. And so I think what's great about money court is I know money and I know business and I know people. And, you know, I try and solve for, yes, I'll listen to the law, but ultimately, if it's not going to save the business, I will. I'll make the decision that's right to save the business because the business has more than just the owners. It's got the customers. It's got the employees. It's got the legacy of the value they've created around their brand. Why would I want to see that destroyed? And I think that's what's unique about Money Court. Yes, it's a, a legal platform, but ultimately, it's my decision. So these decisions weigh heavily on me. And I want to make sure I get it right, particularly when a family's ripping itself to pieces. I have to ask you a question about Mr. Wonderful. I'm a legitimate six foot 10 former professional wrestler. So I, we, I've gone in the entrepreneur route, but I was a pro wrestler, college basketball player. You know, I'm an intimidated guy at times, right? Is the, how did you get the name Mr. Wonderful and how much is it really Kevin O'Leary and how much is it a little bit of a gimmick? I'll tell you where this stems from. When I was 14 years old, my mother said something to me that I never listened to then, but later in life, it became very, very relevant. That's what happens in life a lot. If you park it in your brain, sometimes it becomes useful, sometimes not. She said to me, Kevin, if you always tell the truth, you'll never have to remember what you said. And I said, bah, what does that mean? She said, think about it. 
you're going to be thinking one day to lie to somebody and you don't have to, you can just tell them the truth. But the, the thing about the truth is not everybody wants to hear it. No, and don't. so, so, you know, my role on shark tank is, is I'm the shark that tells you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear, because the real world is going to come and bite your Heidi anyways. And I think in the early demo days when we were shooting the pilot, you know, 14 years ago, 13 years ago, Barbara, who, you know, uh, we, we just don't agree on some stuff. Um, she said facetiously to me, your offer is a joke. You, you, you're trying to get control from these people at 51%. And it's the first time they've met you. Aren't you just Mr. Wonderful? And we think that's when it started. And I thought, yes, I am Mr. Wonderful, Barbara, because I tell the truth and you don't. And so we got into it back then and we've stayed that way all these years. And obviously I have a relationship with her that's very healthy. We're good friends. She's a great cook. I can cook too. We often meet up in New York and you know prepare a big meal. I love that. And the only reason she gets anywhere and makes it to Shark Tank on time is I buy her a new broom every year. See, what I think that helps you is being in the entertainment industry before being on Shark Tank. Some of them were, some of them weren't. And you really bring that, that really bring a different side, especially when you see someone pitch something and then bam, you hit them with the truth, which is important. Yeah, and I, I think it's unfair to call me the mean shark. I just tell the truth. And I mean, if you can't no. handle it, don't worry. It's going to catch up with you anyways. I don't, I don't think you really are. That really is important for Money Court. And what we found in the casting to get these cases to actually sign these contracts is many people in America don't actually like me that much, but they trust me. And I'd rather be trusted to win a popularity contest. That was a great honor for me to hear that from people saying, look, we don't have to be friends, but I'll listen to what you do in terms of adjudicating my case or you know, going through arbitration with you. And when we did the post analysis, in other words, interviewed the exit people after they settled, after they heard my verdict, 90% of them were happy with the outcome. So I'm, I'm taking a lot of pride in that. And I think this show will have a lot of legs because there's countless cases in America oh, right now, countless. Oh, and I think we're, we're going to get a lot of them on money court. And it's too bad. Sometimes the businesses are really not at fault. Sometimes they are at fault. And that's where Kevin will rule. Uh, I have one industry question, another industry, and it's really becoming a big, big industry right now. And I want to get your take. And that's the space race with the space industry. It's becoming huge on Clubhouse. It's becoming everyone wants to get to space. What are your thoughts in the space race? I've had a, the opportunity to actually go and see Branson's facility. I've, I've had a chance to work with him on social media and see his uh, actual capsule that he flew in. Uh, I wouldn't do it, but he's a, a, an adventurous soul, and I get it. I, I think this is going to be a good business. I really do. Not just from the, uh, the the human perspective of the interest of seeing space. Everybody wants to see it and feel weightlessness. It's just it's just human interest in being explorers. And I think they will commercialize that. But I'm more interested in being able to fly to London in an hour because I spend a lot of my time in Dubai or Saudi Arabia or the Middle East or in Switzerland. And I have to fly there six and seven hours. And some of this technology that's being advanced is for that suborbital travel that I can go from New York to London in one hour and five minutes. Imagine I can go there, do a meeting and fly back for dinner. That, that's, you know, we had that way back on this, you know, in two and a half hours with, uh, you know, in the very first supersonic planes that were commercial that, that I flew those and they were terrible. They were a tiny little yeah, you know, exactly. things with really noisy and, but still you got there quickly. Um, but I, I think this technology is going to spawn all kinds of industries and be good for investors. And then at one point you'll have businesses 
in space. That's coming, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's so much opportunity and all this technology that's advancing so quickly, even what we're using right now to talk to each other has changed business forever. And it's changed the, the profile of what I do. And, and you see it in the money court, all of the technology that we use to make the show during the middle of COVID, but also all the people that brought their businesses and their litigation. There was so much tech involved. People have just embraced this and it becomes part of the economy and part of the way people run businesses. All right. So the best place, again, Wednesday nights, at 10 p.m. Eastern, Money Court on CNBC. Cannot wait to watch it. Kevin, you were, you're definitely a great interview, man. Just so humble in so many ways. And I would never have thought that from the show. So I appreciate the time and I have a different opinion, even though I love when you tell people straight, but hey, you got to do that, especially when you are the expert when it comes to as an entrepreneur. So I thanks for stopping by. I appreciate well, it. Thank you. And tonight's case is going to make some people absolutely go nuts. That's <laughs> you, you ain't seen nothing like this. Enjoy the show. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show. And I just enjoy talking to different people and authors, but also somebody that, you know, when I read something, I'm like, man, this is the first time I've interviewed somebody that wants to create a serious movement. It's not just a Facebook group. It's not a community that's, you know, it's something much more. And I'm excited to welcome the program author, Rudy Boy, Rudy Poe, author of Embracing Change. How are embracing change? How are you, Rudy? What's going I'm, on? And you're going to create your own country? That's my plan. Me? That's my plan. It's epic. It's epic. But I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do it. You know, I mean, a lot of people write books, right? Yeah, but not too many people try to start countries. So it's going to be a journey, and I'm going to kind of like document it as I go, and and just you know have fun with it. It's really it's really about fun and philanthropy. You know, so. I want to get together a group of people and who are kind of like-minded to me, who like all these things like the future and, and making the world a better place and all that. And, and, and just kind of have fun with it and take it and hopefully put our resources together and do things that are good for themselves, for their communities and for the world in general. Okay. So creating your own country, it's like, you know, starting your own business. It's, it's a process. So if you were going to, you know, go to the bank and say, I need a loan to create a country. What do you think they'd say to you? <laughs> I think they'd say that, that I'm crazy. But, um, you know, a country's kind of like, it's, it's uh, you know, people have done it before. There, I found a book that inspired me. It was called Micronations. And people have done this before. They've created countries in their own apartments. They've created countries on little uh, um, oil rigs in the North Atlantic and, and, and all kinds of fun little things. So it's in a way, it's a marketing thing, but it's just a way to to get people's attention and to talk about what it is that I want to do and have fun doing it. Create your. Own, I'm still thinking. I'm still, you know, going to scratch my head about creating your own country. Because <clears throat> I mean, so you give me some examples you've read about before we talk about your country of people who created countries out of their apartment. Explain that. Well, there was one one guy in King King Danny the first created a country called Lovely. And he actually talked the BBC into making a whole six part documentary series out of it. So that was one thing that inspired me. Um, but there's there was a, a group of people that took over a uh, a uh, an old World War II 
oil rig in the north and created a pirate radio station out of it and they called it their own country and it's just there's a lot of crazy wacky stories of people people doing this kind of thing um but now in the world i i love all things future so now that we're embarking on something called the metaverse and blockchain and um you know crypto and all that i can incorporate all that into my country as my little startup country so i can have my own currency i can have proof of all the good that we do you know if it's like a lot of a lot of times when there's a nonprofit, people question oh well did did they actually how, how much how far did my money go did it really go towards the right things that kind of that kind of idea right well if i incorporate the whole idea of blockchain i don't know how many of your viewers know about blockchain but you know it's basically a permanent ledger of everything that happened so there would be proof a record proof of everything that we did for better or worse so we better stay on the better side right oh absolutely i mean you're so you're a futurist I already can tell if you would have taken your five talents, futurist has to be one of them, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, according to Gallup, I have five talents. My number one's ideation and also communication and achiever and competitor. And then another one strategist. And if I'm missing them all, I think I, I hit every one of them. But the thing is for you, no, and no doubt about looking at yours, futurist has to be one of them, right? Yeah. I mean, I love I love all things future. I belong to future groups, and I actually just got up. I did a twenty four hour webinar last week with this one that I'm in, and they were they they brought together all these future forward thinkers and people creating these amazing companies. And so I learned from all that. I mean, I'm a sponge. One thing I think we should all be more of is sponges. You know, we should learner, all learner learner would be another one a year. Yeah, Thank lifelong you. learner. I you know being curious. I would recommend that for everybody. You know, just learn. We all have all the world's knowledge in the palm of our hands now, you know, with our phones. It's like, what do you want to know? Ask it a question. You will find out. You don't have to go to the library anymore or, or you know, wh whatever. I mean, everything is immediate and you just have to have a curious mindset to move forward in the world. I, I love that. And then and that's, that's the, the thing about how that curious mind and be willing to learn in so many ways. So the country. We talked about people that have done this country. Have they monetized any of them that have done their own country? Have they made money? Uh, you know, I don't know. I think they're mostly for fun. That's why I like, I really want to move into, to, I've, I've been fortunate and I've been successful in having a couple of companies that have worked out. And I really want to spend my time and energy giving back and, and doing the right thing. And, you know, my, as with my book, you know, my whole thing, I have this pet peeve that people don't like to change. So, I've been grasp, grasping for a way to get people to embrace change. You know, I, I wrote my book and, and that's, that's one of the reasons I want to do this is to help people see the future, see a better future, you know, make their life worth living and not be just scared of the, of the future and everything that's going on around us. I mean, you know, a lot of people live their lives in the past and, and the future's coming at us so fast that we just really need to embrace that because that's how you will be successful in the future. The future, the future, and that's and, and embrace the opportunities and different things. So let's talk about the country now. Who, what, what is the country going to stand for when you put this together? How are you going to bring this country together, bring people to the country? Well, it's all about change for better. Again, taking my theme from my book, that's, that's really been a kind of a, a thing that's been driving me forward. You know, 10 years ago, I, I, my life was a mess and I, I just, I had to, I had to go through a lot of changes. I've been through a whole decade of stuff, but I came out the other side and there's a lot of joy in that. 
and I've uh, my life is much much better. It's it's the life I wanted to lead. But had I not gone through all that pain and at, and of the journey, I wouldn't have got there. So I would like to share that idea and have people come and meet me and meet with me and grow with me on a journey forward where we can all help each other get to that place that we want to go. You know, it's not a country like full of politics and military and all that stuff. In a way, it's the anti-country country, right? Because we just want to do what's right and do it together and celebrate the life that there is out there. You know, celebrate the banquet of life. That's what my country is called convivia. And a convivium is where people celebrate the banquet of life. Oh. So, Okay, so, so basically wanting to celebrate life bring the people together that's based on your book. So that's what you want to do, right? Rudy, bring the people together. that's based on your book. Yeah. The themes, the themes in my book, not necessarily the book, the book is one tool that I would be part of my educational department. Right. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, put together events and, and, and meetups and get people to collaborate who are of a similar positive mindset and see what happens. Define that positive mindset, what you're looking for. You said, you see, I'm, I'm going to go back to this whole, journey of change and going through the transformation, going through all these things to now you feel better about what caused you to take that turn 10 years ago to say, Oh my gosh, I can't live like this to where you are today. Well, all the things in life that so many of us face, you know, I mean, I was facing change in my, my relationship, my, my marriage, my business was one of my businesses was not doing well. I had to start another business. So all those things out of necessity, really, you know, I mean, people don't change. There's a phrase. It's a uh, people don't change until the pain of being the state, the, the, the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same. Right. Yeah. So uh, I want to find people who've already really found that mindset and see if we can spread that to others. And I have a, I have a three word thing that I live by. It's imagine create, transform you know when you imagine something you create what you imagine and then you transform the world from your creation so that's what i want to do with a group find a small group of people it doesn't need to need to be a million people it can be a thousand people or a hundred people or whatever just as long as there's a good cohesive group with a solid mindset of that sort of let's imagine something let's go create something good and then let's transform people's lives because of it who would you say those people are who would be those people that would be part of that community? Because to create and transform and change, I mean, to basically change society, uh, you said these are change makers. So it's not everyone that could be a change maker unless you believe everyone could be a change maker. I think everybody could be a change maker if they wanted to, but I don't think a lot of people want to. So I'm going to kind of start with people who've already adopted it somewhat and see where that goes. I've been trying to like, through my book and whatnot, find people and help people change, but people aren't, are very resistant for change. You know? So, yes. yeah. So I'm and more so than I would have imagined, you know, I thought, Hey, here's a solution to help make life better, but it's, it's, it's hasn't been as easy as I thought. So I think I'm going to push more towards people who already kind of get it and build up some momentum that way. And those people already get it, but they still need a community of people to work together to get better, even to that level. They stay. Yeah. And there's always more to learn. Like I said, lifelong learning, right? As much as you know, or you think you know about something, you know, we're all, none of us are as strong as all of us, right? So 
if I can put together a group, I mean, one, I think it would be just super fun to do this. And, and it's an experiment, of course, right? But let's see if I can succeed at this experiment. I think you can. I was just hearing from you, I think you can. And finding people that want to make that, you know, to create something, to create something meaningful that will change society. And that's, that's uh, an undertaking, but everyone can be a change maker. And what would you say to people that are resistant for change right now? They don't, what tips would you provide that you need to make a change, especially if you see that there are definitely problems going on in your life right now? Everyone has problems. They have to come up with solutions. Tell them why they need to make a change instead of never problem solving those to, to lead to solutions. Right. Well, the first step to anything is awareness. First, be aware and recognize that you have these issues or something that you want to change. You know, there's three kinds of action in the world. There's non-action, which is actually making a choice. You're making a choice to do nothing, like you just said, right? And then there's reaction, which is constantly living your life, reacting to everything that happened in the past, you know? Or there's proaction. You can be proactive and say, where is it that I want to go? Where is the future that I want to live in? And what are, you know, there's few, we all have futures of futures of work, futures of relationships, futures of place where we live, futures of play, futures of all financial future, health future, all these things. So what is the future that you want? So identify your goal and, and then be proactive towards going there. Um, there's a thing in business, uh, foresight, and backcasting, I, I like to use this. Have you ever heard of those terms? So foresight is like, imagine where you want to go. Like here, paint that picture for yourself of here's the goal. Here's what it looks like, mm -hmm. right? And then back it in. It's simple. Just what do I have to do to it, take, start, imagine yourself there and then back in the steps to get there. It's not one big giant leap, right? It's a, probably a thousand little steps. So if you, if you kind of back it in, say, well, what do I have to do first? And what do I have to do second? But if you kind of like imagine forward and come back to it, it's a different way of looking at things. So, you know, if you're going to move, I just moved all the way across the country. So it's like, well, where am I going to move? Well, I need to research that. I'm like, okay, I ended up in Florida. So, but I researched it. I go, well, I have criteria. And so I researched it and I figured it out. And if I'm going to do that first, I have to, you know, sell my house. I have to find a house. I have to get myself from here to there. There's all those little baby steps, which is daunting if you look at it as the big picture. But if you break it down into little steps, we can all create the positive change that we want. At least I believe we can. Absolutely. All right. So we've jumped to that conclusion and looked at those, those, those particulars. Let's uh, jump to the fact of to join your country. Do you have the movement? Do you have a landing page yet to create the country? Or are you so? No, it's 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 just pretty. This is pretty new. I've been thinking about it forever, and I'm finally putting it together. I I wrote a blog post. If you want to know about it, it's on my blog, which is at rudypo.com. Um, my blog is called My Brain and My Brain and I. It's my brain and I thinking about things and writing them down. So I have a blog post there. Um, I've just written my uh, my citizenship pledge. So that's not quite published yet. But it's all it's all in the works. It's slow going. It's just me right now. I do have a list of people who said they're interested. Every time I bring this up in a conversation, I go, well, I, I want to do that. I had one guy who says, well, I need to be your minister of coffee and wine. <laughs> it's like, all right. Well, I didn't know I needed a minister of coffee and wine, but we do need coffee and wine. So you have got the job. So 
you know, it's a contributor society, right? Not a volunteer society, but a contributor society. So yeah. anyway, but just email me at Rudy at RudyPoe.com and I will respond and I will get you on the list and you can come with me on my journey. All right. Well, fantastic. Appreciate it, Rudy. Great information. Fun. I never thought creating a country. Wow. That's something that not many people <laughs> I have. A, I have a flag. I have a flag already, though. <laughs> Oh my, that's the creativity you have, Rudy. This is the change maker. You're willing to make that change. Appreciate you coming by. Appreciate you being having me on the show. Thanks. Nice All to right. meet you. You're listening right. and watching the Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And you know, when I think of insp inspiring people, it's people who are able to overcome adversity. And we have an unbelievable guest today and two great authors. I'm excited first to welcome Scott Kyle. He's the co-author of Via... La Vie. Uh, how are you, Scott? And you're going to introduce your daughter, Liv, and I, and I look forward to hearing the story and also learning more about the book. How are you? Thanks, Neil. I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic, Scott. So you, you're who else, your other, your co-author is with you? And, yeah. And it's your daughter, Liv, right? My daughter, Liv, all of 12 years old, although she was 11 when she uh, helped write the book. So, but she's now, she's now uh, a 12 year old in middle school in sixth grade. All right, fabulous. Let's kind of talk about Scott specifically, the challenges that Liv has gone through, and then you can, and then Liv can kind of expound on that, and we'll talk about the book. Yeah, so Via Liv is a very interesting character. Um, we don't put too much um, emphasis on it in the first book, but the second book will talk a bit more about her life challenges, including overcoming brain cancer, and how she really used that to her advantage to uh, live life to the fullest, um, to use her brain for good. And Liv, the, the real Liv, um, also went through cancer in her case, something called Wilms tumor, uh, around the same time as the, as the character in the book around first grade. Uh, and Liv was an amazing, incredible genius, really from very early age, uh, you know, learned to read at age two or three and do advanced mathematics at age four and five. But I think, and I'll let her speak for herself, I think the experience she had you know, similar to the character Via Levy, really made her uh, live life to the fullest. And she's done more in her 12 short years than most people have done in a lifetime. And so uh, I'll let uh, Liv talk as well. All right, fantastic. Yeah, for sure. I think definitely some of the things that I've gone through have helped me um, form my life and become who I am. Um, along with the different um, accomplishments that I've had in my life. And I don't think that Vila V would be possible without me being who I am today. And I think that's such an important thing. Adversity leads us to triumph in so many ways, Scott. And have you been so impressed by Liv, how she was able to overcome and, and survive cancer and also yet be really such a role model for other children that have gone through the same thing? Yeah, she is such an incredibly strong person physically and, of course, you know, emotionally and spiritually. Um, and not only you know, did she uh, go through her ordeal, but immediately wanted to give back. Literally, like, while she was still um, getting treatment, she was already creating artwork and having ideas for what she could do for other kids. So since her uh, chemo ended... Uh, which was about four years ago, she's been serving as the ambassador to Rady Children's Hospital, which is the main children's hospital here in San Diego that treated her. So she's helped them raise literally probably tens of millions of dollars at this point through various radiothons. Uh, she's uh, donated artwork that she's created that's been auctioned off. She's gone to um, 
She was the San Diego Radies Children uh, Child of the Year and presented at Costco at their headquarters. So she's just, um, she's such a giving person and she's given so much back to other kids who are now going through what she went through before. And I'm just, I'm incredibly proud of her. I mean, not only has she done many, many other things in life, like playing chess and learning poker and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on and on, but it's really her character that's, that makes me most proud. Uh, Liv, uh, how do you look at your life and how important it is after what you've overcome? I think that definitely all of my accomplishments, like I said before, have really shaped my character and my personality and um, my ability to do things. And I think I'm more determined now because I know that I've been through so much that I can do anything now. So if I know that I can, I know that I will. So Scott, when did you live and you and Liv decide you're going to co-write these uh, this this book series? Yeah. Um, so I this is my third book. Um, both my parents were authors, and even though as a job I'm a financial advisor here in La Jolla, um, I've just had a passion for writing from a young age. And one of my sort of bucket lists uh, to do's was to write a book. So I wrote my first book about ten years ago. Uh, that was a finance book. I then wrote a novel, uh, which was a lot of fun. And then, um, you know, probably three or four years ago, you know, I noticed that Liv also had this incredible passion and gift for both reading and writing. And, and she was writing her own short stories and just doing a ton of, of different types of art. So um, I had this idea, again, was somewhat not based on, but definitely inspired by Liv's life uh, to write a book about this. I've always liked the idea of sort of like the genius kid, sort of like the genius kid who doesn't show that he or she is a genius, but then you find out in other ways. I think it's kind of a cool concept. So I thought, well, what a great way to combine my love for writing, this idea I had with Liv's emerging talents and passions. And so I approached her with the idea, um, not knowing how she'd respond, and she responded favorably. And then about a year and a half later, a lot of hard work. Um, she's also the illustrator of the book as well. So not only did she help to write the book, but she does the illustrations. And there's 22 illustrations in the book. Um, we have a, a finished product. And so it's, it's really just a testament to the idea of having a vision in life, working really hard, and then having it come to fruition. Which is uh, un unbelievable, to say the least. Um, so uh, the, what's the feedback been, Scott, so far for the books, the series? Yeah, it's, um, we've gotten a, a lot of great response. Uh, for example, at Live School here in La Jolla, they're going to... Um, uh, have it be part of the curriculum. And then I, I think Liv wants to speak to that as well. Um, yeah, so um, I've had a ton of great feedback at my school. A ton of my friends have really, really enjoyed it. Um, it will soon be at our library, I hope. Um, and yeah, I would love for it to be a part of the curriculum. I'm not sure if that's completely going to happen, but that was one of the ideas that was proposed. Um, I've been a part of the um, bulletin in our school. So I got to like do an interview about that. And I just thought it was really cool that I had tons of people supporting me through all of um, this journey of writing. All right, well, fa fantastic. Scott, what it ultimately, is the series done or are you gonna write another book for the series? Yeah, yeah the, the goal is to have multiple books. So the, the first book takes place when Via's in fifth grade. So just finishing grade school, similar to what Liv was last year. She's now in first year middle school. And so the goal is to have you know, book every year or so, basically following Via and her friends 
um, and other characters that are, that are part of the book as well, um, going through middle school and then uh, uh, to, to high school as well and beyond. And so as we were writing the first book, we thought of so many ideas that would be so great for the second book that, of course, we couldn't fit everything in the first book. But we basically have in our minds anyway, the second book almost completed. And the way the first book ends, uh, another point of feedback we've gotten is that people literally can't wait for the second book uh, just because just the way that the, kind of the first book ends and set it up. And I think Liv has some thoughts as well. Yeah, I mean, what I love about Via is that like, there's just so many different things going on in her life that there are so many different ways that we can take this next book. And I have so many great ideas. And I've had um, my science teacher actually, because I gave her a copy of the book and she was talking about how she couldn't put it down. And once she finished, she wished that she hadn't and she wished that there was more for her to read. And I just think that's like super awesome that we have tons of different people really invested in the story. All right, fantastic, Scott. Where's the best place to purchase the book? Do you guys have a website? Yeah, so um, it can either be purchased on Amazon or our website, which is vialavibooks.com. So vialavibooks.com which is the main character, books, plural.com, or of course on Amazon. Well, we appreciate it, Scott and Liv. It's great information. Uh, you're inspiring, Liv, and you can make, a, and definitely you give a lot of people hope, especially when they are diagnosed with cancer to know that they can survive and thrive. And you're definitely doing that, Liv, and congrats to you and Scott. Wow, she's, she's amazing. And uh, thanks for you guys both stopping by. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much, Neil. Have a great day. Take care. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley Show, and we are talking to another amazing author. So I'm excited to welcome the program, Cathay Retta. Uh, Cathay, thanks for stopping by, and we're lucky, excited to talk to you today. How are you? Thank you, Neil. I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited, too. You know, Cathay, when you talk about stories and deciding to write the book and deciding to tell your journey in this inter interview, it's, it's a process, right? It's something that you really have to get yourself out there and try to do, right? It's not easy at first to try to tell your story, is it? It is a process and it takes a while. Um, although I've always liked writing and writing comes easy to me, but to actually pull together a story like this does take something. All right, so let's go some, uh, start out. What is the Camino de Santiago, the way of St. James and describe it and give brief his, a brief history. Okay, it's a old pilgrimage trail across northern Spain. Actually, there's several trails that they call the Camino or the Camino de Santiago. All of them end in the town in the city of Santiago de Compostela in Spain. Um, probably the most popular trail and the one I walked is called the French Way. And that starts in France at the foot of the Pyrenees and then goes up over the Pyrenees and across uh, Spain. It's 483 miles and ends in Santiago. And there is where it is believed the remains of St. James, the apostle or the disciple of Jesus, where his remains are buried. And that's why it became such a pilgrimage trail. And it's been walked for hundreds of years. Um, it's so very popular, and actually, I walked it in 2019, and I understand there were about 350,000 individuals from around the world that walked it that year. So it's very popular, um, and it goes through. It's it's a wonderful uh, journey. It's a very structured trail, meaning that there's 
um, hostels and places to, you know, stay the night and to eat and, you know, services along the way. So it makes it kind of a safe trail. Um, but also some of it goes through dirt roads. Some of, some of it's on loose gravel and kind of hard to maneuver trails. Sometimes it's along side a highway, uh, can go through grape vineyards, wine vineyards, sunflower fields, up mountains. The biggest thing I remember is it's very hilly. It's a lot of up and down walking. And so it's uh, quite a physical feat to do it, but it's just so wonderful. Why did you, yeah, so why did you decide to make a pilgrimage on it? You know, and when I started out, I didn't think in terms of pilgrimage, just I was 64 years old. My husband had died uh, two years previous, and I was thinking, okay, what do I do with my life now? What am I going to do for the next 30 years? And uh, I had heard about this trail, and it stuck in the back of my mind, and I have to say it called to me. I just got to the point where I knew it was something I had to do. I have to walk this. And so I went thinking, well, great. That'll give me lots of undistracted time to figure out what to do with my next 30 years. I mean, what do you do? You get up every day and you're going to walk. There's no big decisions or distractions. So that's what I expected. That's not what it turned out to be. My first night there, I was sitting in the back of a 13th century old Gothic cathedral um, in the Pyrenees. And there's, you know, the lights were dim, soft music was playing, people were coming in and out. And I sat there and I started to tear up. And then I heard inside me that inner voice said absolution. And I thought, well, I don't need absolution. That's not why I'm here. I know that absolution or forgiveness, that was the reason many pilgrims throughout the years would walk the trail. And uh, the Catholic Church had told them when they got to Santiago, they would get forgiveness of their sins. I said, that's not what I'm here for. And then I heard that voice say, yes, it is. You need absolution from yourself. I started thinking about it. I thought, well, maybe I'm missing something. I even looked in uh, the online dictionary on my phone and found out that absolution is um, it's a release from guilt. And so that kind of set the pace for this next 37 days that I was, I was, that I was on the trail. It was a real spiritual healing. And once you had that spiritual healing and spending the 37 days, what else did you learn? How did you grow closer to God through that time? Um, there were so many things. So, you know, that was the start of it. The next day I was checking into a hostel and I started to tell this couple that my husband had died and that's why I'm walking to Santiago. I got as far as my husband and then I began sobbing. And again, that shocked me. I thought I was doing really well. I was strong. I, you know, but what I came to realize is I just suppressed, suppressed the grieving process. And I've learned that you can't do that. Um, there is a process and you have to go through and just let your heart and your spirit guide you through that. And so that was the begin of, beginning of this. And then a couple of days after that, I was going up to the place that's called the, the Hill of Forgiveness. And then again, I knew in my spirit that I had to forgive my husband for dying and leaving me. Again, I had no idea that was even in there, but I did. And just a weight lifted off of me. 
And so then I just kept going. But it was very difficult. Um, my body was hurting. I was having a real struggle with my heels. I had developed Achilles tendonitis. And uh, so I was walking very slow. And there are other people, but I wasn't able to make any tight connections. And so I felt very alone. And I kept thinking, what am I doing this for? I should go to a luxury hotel, stick my feet in the pool and cool them off and just sit there. I can plan out the rest of my life there. Um, but I knew I had to keep walking this trail. It's something really important. And so I did. And you know, it's about three weeks in, I got to the lowest point, the worst part. I got bed bugs. Oh, no. <laughs> it was horrible. Oh. <laughs> and that's one thing I had feared and been worried about all the way. And I should say for anyone considering walking the trail, that's not that common. You know, that happens, that can happen anywhere. And so that afternoon, so I went to a laundromat, I washed all my clothes, I did what I thought I was supposed to do. I kind of wasn't really sure what to do. Then I went back to my, uh, to the hostel and I was laying on my bed and this man from the UK comes in, his name's Patrick, and he puts his bedroll on his bed bunk and he said, hey, how's your day going? And I said, I've got bed bugs and I just want to go home. And I just started crying. And he so kindly, he reached his hand out to me and he said, may I hold your hand? And I said, sure. And then he sat down on the floor next to my bed and just started telling me, you know, that's part of life. It's the ups and downs and bed bugs, you know, they'll come and they'll go. Um, I don't know what else he said, but it really consoled me and I felt better. And then later we were walking around the town and at one point, we're looking at this beautiful uh, 16th century Roman bridge. And he was telling me about the construction of it. And I found out he's a mechanical engineer from the UK. And uh, he had really studied, knew all the history in this area. And um, in the middle of that conversation, he turned to me and said, you're here to learn to fall in love with yourself again. And that just went straight to my heart. And it just rung true. I knew that was it. And um, I just love that, you know, the messenger that came and brought that to me. And somehow things got better after that. I will say two days later, I still had bed bugs, <laughs> but I was at another hostel. And this time the host just jumped right in and helped me. And we got all my clothes washed in hot water and sprayed with this poison that would take care of them. And I stayed at that place for three days and just really rejuvenated and started to feel that, that love and the care and started to, I don't know, something shifted in me. And I knew that, okay, this is it. Maybe I'm learning to love myself again. And the other thing, though, as far as the lesson, I look back now and said, yeah, I got bed bugs. I had to. That was so in my heart, the fear of getting bed bugs that, you know, I think we send out an energy on whatever our mind is focusing on. We're Even, yeah, it's just the universe delivers. OK, bed bugs. It doesn't hear that I was saying no bed bugs. <laughs> it just heard bed bugs. So they came. But they expect it. So the universe gives it to you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so I thought, okay, well, that's something to keep in mind. You know, even if I'm saying it in my head that I don't want this, um, and my heart's fearing it, what I've learned is that an optimistic mind cannot override a fearful heart. And so that was the big thing from this whole experience is listening to my heart, listening to that inner voice, and realize there's so many things um, going on that I had suppressed and not dealt with. 
and or it just ignored in my life. And so I began to listen and to let those truths of who I am come out and to really walk in it. Um, you know, another thing that kind of the probably the biggest point is more towards the end of the walk. I got a text from a friend back home. She said she had lunch with a few women and they were talking about me and they were saying, oh, she's an amazing woman. And I thought to myself, no, I'm not. And then that inner voice said, yes, you are, own it. <laughs> and so I said it out loud, I am an amazing woman. And it wasn't very convincing, I didn't believe it. And that I heard that voice say, say it again. And so I did it more boldly. I am an amazing woman. And something clicked and I started to believe it. I started to see that it's true. And it just kind of lifted me there. And the other thing I learned that I think helps with this, and I learned it after I came back home and I was started studying and learning more about grief and what happens. And I didn't know that when you suppress an emotion like grief, you suppress all your emotions. We don't get to pick and choose which ones to hold on to and which ones to hide away. And I knew that something had clicked within me after I was home and looking through my pictures, I saw a couple of them where my head was thrown back in laughter and just the biggest smile. And I was like, who is that woman? And I realized I had not seen that in myself for a very long time. And I realized I had been suppressing a lot in my life, a lot of emotions for a very long time. And somehow when I went through this journey then and began to forgive my husband for leaving me. Not that he wanted to, he didn't want to die. Um, but I forgave him and stopped suppressing that grief. And I let it come out because I did a lot of crying on that trip. And I just started getting in touch and listening more to that inner voice and my spirit, listening to what God was showing me and telling me and starting to believe it. It just kind of revived me and got me in touch with my old self. And I realized, oh, so there it is. Maybe I am falling in love with myself again. And in that came full around to the absolution to be able to forgive myself and to release guilt, not be guilty about anything from the past. Oh, and cool. that's something I would love for everyone to learn and to experience. That's powerful. Uh, I, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a powerful thing in this process. So would you said you grew in your conversation with God was, it, how did your faith change? in this process, going through all the different days, the 37 days, when you got back, how did that change your life? Um, I think it came with more of the confidence and the knowing who I am. You know, one thing I said, I went on the trail. My first thought was, well, I'll figure out what to do. What I learned was I already knew what to do. I've known it for years and this path I'm on now, you know, writing books, being an author, um, and blogging and trying to get these messages out to the world. I've always known to do that, but I didn't have the courage to do it, to follow through on it until after I came home from the Camino. That's the biggest way it's changed is that courage to do it, to act on it. Absolutely. Uh, I think that it's, it's, uh, it's quite a, uh, experience, isn't it? It's quite a, a journey uh, going through these things. And you, your plan was just to go through it. Your life changed. Why tell the story? What are you hoping for? Yeah, one thing I know for sure in my life is that I'm not unique. Maybe I'm unique and special like we all are, but we all have, I don't have any experience that 
someone else hasn't been touched by also. And I really believe that if we can share those things and I can say, be vulnerable and open up what's happened and what's changed in my heart and what I'm learning, that that touches someone else too, who maybe had still been suppressing that or not able to look at it. It gives someone else the courage to say, maybe that's me. Maybe I need to listen to my voice a little more. I need to listen to God, to that spirit within me. Um, I think it's as we share our stories, we help one another. There's a thing um, uh, about writing that the more personal a story is, the more universal it is. And I believe that's true. And that's kind of one reason I knew I had to write the story. So it's a book. It's not so much about the Camino de Santiago as it is about my spiritual journey and that change that happened along the way. That's, that's, that's powerful. And that journey continues, right? It continues. It does. It continues. And your hope, what do you hope you uh, readers get out of this, get out of the book and then the story? I hope that they, that they would get hope, first of all, that wherever they are, whatever situations they're in, that, um, you know, life is wonderful. If we're alive, we have a reason and a purpose. And I hope they would get that out of it. I hope they would learn to listen to their soul and that calling. Like, you know, I knew that I had to walk the Camino. I didn't know why. I thought it was going to be a mental thing. But turns out it was much more than that. But I just followed that, you know, and I had already injured my heels. And before I left, people were telling me, maybe you should put it off a year. You know, don't do this. Wait. And I considered that it made sense, but I knew I couldn't, just that knowing in my heart. And I think a lot of times we have that knowing. And so I want to encourage people to follow it. Don't ignore it. You know, we don't listen very well. We just, we try, we distract it. If we get afraid of that, or we think maybe we can't, so we ignore it and just suppress it and put it away. Um, but it's there. And if we can, number one thing, if we can learn to listen to um, our spirit to what we're being led to do. Um, that's powerful. I think we've lost that a lot. Um, I think we need to take the time to slow down. And that's what the communal help to slow down. You don't have other distractions and really listen and get in touch with yourself. Learn to love yourself. Learn to find what's in there that um, sometimes we've buried along the way. So that's one thing I would hope people would get from it. And then also that they would just follow through and take action on it. All right. Uh, yeah. yeah, someone mentioned to me recently, you never know what action is going to activate a breakthrough. Exactly. Where's the best place people can find information on you and purchase your book? Where can they go? It's on my website, which is my name, C-A-T-H-A-Y-R-E-T-A.com. So you can certainly find it there. It's also in bookstores and it's on Amazon. And the title is Keep Walking, Your Heart Will Catch Up. So keep walking, your heart will catch up. So again, I hope that's also a message for people. You know, you just keep going, keep walking, don't give up and your heart will get there. Your heart will catch up. All right. You're, thank you again. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show and we'll be back in just a moment. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.